so this husband is at work and he gets a phone call from his wife and he says sure and he hangs up the phone and as soon as he hangs up the phone he realizes she called out something important he doesn't know what it was and he already said yes he's going to do it but he doesn't know what it was he's thinking what was it he doesn't know what to do so he says, oh, maybe it was washing the dishes he washes the dishes and he, t- and he takes the uh, clothing to the uh, to the uh, cleaners and he takes the he starts cutting up vegetables for dinner and he is doing things non-stop for two hours and he gets another phone call from his wife I'm waiting for by the airport ready for two hours you bald guy you arrogant guy what's going on he thought you know like he he uh, he did so much but he actually forgot the point even though in Hebrew the way you say male is zachar but the problem is that men forget men forget and uh, even though we're zachar we we forget a lot it's not that we're so terrible we forget but um, the Jewish people are called are, are looked at and are many ways are the people that remember everything is the people doesn't forget and that's why it's so surprising this phenomena that Mount Sinai is a mountain where God gave us the Torah and yet no one knows where it is. No one knows where it is. They say it's here, they say it's there, no one knows where it is. How come there's no sign over there? This is the mountain that God gave the Jewish people the Torah. It's something which is not just important to Jewish people. All religions look at the event of Mount Sinai as something really special. And there's no sign over there that says, hey, watch out, be careful, take off your shoes, you're entering the holy zone of Mount Sinai, turn off your cell phone, and get ready to enter the zone of Mount Sinai. There's nothing. There's no, um, there is no sign over there that says that this is a special place at all. You walk over there, and there is no, first of all, no one knows where it is. How come no one knows where it is? We know where everything is. We commemorate everything. We're the people who doesn't forget anything. You, you think it's not even in Sinai Desert? The general location, yeah. Sinai Desert, okay, fine, let's say it is. But how come we don't know which mountain it is? There is um, a uh, tzaddik named Amish Narboni, he was one of the commentaries in the Rambam's um, Guide to Perplex, and he spoke about a certain mountain which um, other religions say is the mountain that of Mount Sinai, I think it's called Mountain Katarina or something. Mm. And they say this mountain is very special. You take open every stone in the mountain, you could see some kind of looks like a bush on in each stone. If you open, he says, I tried it. Very much I wanted, I tried it. I opened up a stone. And I see, indeed, it's a very unique mountain. And you see a bush. And that, of course, the reason why he said you see a bush in the mountain, in each stone, is because um, the burning bush. Because where did God appear, first appear to Moshe Rabbeinu? He first appeared to Moses at the burning bush. God, Moshe Rabbeinu was shepherding the sheep of his father-in-law Yisrael and he sees his bush is burning and he goes to see this amazing sight the bush is burning and it's not, it's not being consumed God appears to Moshe Rabbeinu at the Sneh which is why it's called according to some commentaries Mount Sinai Sinai comes from the word Sneh Sneh means, Sneh means bush, the burning bush how do you say that? Sinai in the language Sinai is the name of the mountain, right? yeah the name of the bush, and the Torah calls it a sne. Sne. yeah. So that's why it's called... That's why it's called Mount Sinai, because that was when God appeared to him. But yet, 
Oh, so so the Esher Moshe Rabbeinu says this. That's that's what he says, and some people think that's the mountain. But there's a big problem with saying that's a mountain. The problem with saying that's a mountain is we know about Mount Sinai. It's the Gemara says the Talmud says it's the lowest of all mountains. Humble. It's a humble mountain, lowest of all mountains. But that mountain is the highest mountain in that region, oh. so it can be uh, called the, uh, the Gemara compares Mount Sinai with the other mountains which are far smaller, and yet. This mountain is cannot be. It would seem that Har Sinai because it's it's bigger. But let's say it is. Let's say it isn't. The halacha is halacha. Jewish law says wherever Mount Sinai is, you can do whatever you want there. You could take your animals to pasture there. You could play soccer there. You could play baseball there. You could have a barbecue there. It doesn't have any holiness whatsoever. The question is, why did it lose its holiness? We actually find four occasions in history where God appeared at Mount Sinai. The first of one was when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Second one, second time was Ten Commandments. There was a third time. Third time was when Elijah uh, was challenged by the prophets of Baal. So the famous story how the prophets of Baal said to Elijah, "Our God is a real God. Your God is a fake God." And Elijah said, "Let's have a contest." And they both prayed for fire to come down to heaven. Another story, right? No. Oh, I mean, sure. What happened was is that the, the, the prophets of Baal, they 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 challenged Elijah. Elijah, actually, I think Elijah challenged them, and they were sure that they would be able to uh, win the challenge because they planted someone. Hey, Shalom Aleichem. Ooh, Shalom Aleichem. Please wash your hamotzi. It's kosher today. Not kosher. No, it's today. It's kosher. Kosher is today's kosher. So. So, um, so basically, Elijah uh, told them, "If you're, we told the Jewish people, we're going to see who is the real God." And basically, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of this idol, they plant, they planted someone to uh, light the fire on the side of the prophets of Baal to be, so to speak, the fire that came down from heaven. And this guy was supposed to, when the, when the prophets of Baal were supposed, to, were going to pray that the, that uh, their God light the fire from send the fire from heaven. That guy was going to get a signal, and as soon as he got the signal, he was going to light the fire. But the problem was that a snake came, and the snake bit the guy. So the prophets of Baal are like, uh, Abracadabra! And then nothing happens, because he was dead. So Abracadabra, and they started, and they started singing and dancing, and, started, and they totally started, got, got so angry, they started scratching themselves until they were bleeding. And Elijah said, you know what? Elijah was making fun of them. He said, maybe your God is, is tired, he's sleeping, maybe scream a little louder. Let me try mine. <laughs> and eventually they give up, and, and Elijah says, uh, let me try mine, and he pours water all over the, the pile of wood, which he was going to ask God to send the fire for. It was Mincha, actually. The Talmud says Elijah was the answer at Mincha, and here we learn how special prayer Mincha is. Anyway, so, so Elijah, he prays to God, and he demonstrates that the prophets of Baal, their God is all... Bob Mice, it's all foolishness. And Hashem is a true God, and fire comes from heaven, and it was a huge public spectacle. Everyone was there, and all the people declared Hashem who Elohim, Hashem, Hashem is a true God. So after this whole this whole public uh, debacle, what happens next is that the Queen Yezebel, who was the a wicked Jewish queen, she decides to take vengeance on Elijah. She wants to kill Elijah because she because she's embarrassed that he uh, defeated they're a god. So she sought to kill him and he had to run away. So Elijah ran into the mountain, re- mountainous region of, of Harsinai. He meets 
on Mount Sinai, Hashem appears to him, and Hashem says to him that there's going to be a new king, Yehu will be the new king, and you should anoint Yehu as the new king. So that's, that's the third time in history that God appeared on Mount Sinai. The word Chayreva is the word the Torah uses for Mount Sinai. There's a fourth one. The was, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Mizbeach yeah. was Har Karmel, correct. Yeah. Now, after this debacle of Har Karmel, then he ran away ran to away. Mount Sinai. Very good. So there is a fourth time that God appeared to at Mount Sinai. The fourth time is, the Talmud says many stories about a man named Rabbi Baruch of Chana. There's, an, there's much discussion about if these stories were physical, actually happened, or are they just um, have a spiritual message. So one of the stories is that Rav Barav Khanna, the reason why there's a question is because the stories are so spectacular, so amazing, so it doesn't seem they could possibly happen uh, physically. You think that this can't can have any possible, can't can possibly happen. But um, Hasidim generally translate these, all, all stories of the Talmud in, in a simple sense, uh, because there's even a passage in the Talmud, the Talmud says, Iyuv lehoyev lehnivra lemashul hoyev. Eve never was, he was never created, all he was it was a parable. Never happened, the whole story of Eve. Chassidim say, the only reason why Eve was created was to be a parable. But of course Eve was. So, so, so there are different ways of understanding it, but that's not really relevant to our discussion. One of the stories of Rabbi Rabbi is, he wanted to see Mount Sinai. He's traveling, and he uh, meets some uh, traveling Arab too, who he asks him if to show him Mount Sinai. Apparently that was Elijah the prophet. He shows him at Mount Sinai. He comes to Mount Sinai and he hears a voice. The voice is from God. The voice says, Who can annul my oath? I need someone to annul my oath. So Rabbi Rabbi right away realized God must want to annul the oath that God made. Which oath did God make? God swore to Noah after the flood he was never going to destroy the world again. So probably God wants to annul this oath and he wants to destroy the world. He's like, I better get out of here. I don't want to, I don't want to know God's oath because who knows what happens if, if this works. It was about the Holy Temple. Oh, very good, very good, very good. So they came back to Yeshiva. They told Rabbi Rochana, you should have stayed over there and annulled God's oath because it was, what God's oath was, God's voice has been echoing in the Mount Sinai since, since the temple was destroyed. And God has been saying, I want to know the oath of sending the Jewish people into exile. I want to bring Mashiach. I, don't want, I want to end the exile. So if you would have been there, you could have known God's oath, and God would have been able to, so to speak, uh, do what he wanted to do then, which was to bring Mashiach. So, so that's the fourth time. And the way that Talmud phrases it, God's voice was, going, was, was reverberating in that location for a thousand years. So, so what's going on exactly with this mountain, which we find so many revelations of God four times in history, and yet that mountain is forgotten. There's not even a little sign over there. This was the place the Jewish people got the Torah. On the other hand, Mount Harhamaria, the mountain where the temple was built, we don't say this was once a holy place. We don't say, well, the Jewish people haven't been here in a while, and it's not holy anymore. We look at this place as a very, very holy place, we don't say once was holy. We say holiness never leaves its space. And therefore, if it was once holy, it stays holy. That's what we say about Mount Maria, the Mount, the Temple Mount. How can we don't classify Mount Sinai in the same way? Why is this difference? These are, there are two holy mountains, but one of them 
Not only anymore, the other one, of course it's holy. This is where the temple was. Why, why the difference? In Adelaide, Australia, and many places in the world, there were places that were shoals, the Jewish community moved away, and the shoals got forgotten. And, this, this, and I, was, I was in Adelaide, and I passed by the, where the shoal was. It says Synagogo. It used to be a synagogue, now it's Synagogo. Well, Adelaide. Adelaide, Australia. Ah. Many places in New York. What's a synagogue? It's a, probably not a place the Jews should go. Uh-huh. So, so uh, there, are, um, there are many shoals in New York that the Rebbe would send people to make minyanim, to make, to, make, to, to make prayer services there every Shabbos. So the shul shouldn't close. The shul should stay open. And then unfortunately, many other shuls, both in here and in New York, many, many more, that closed and, and the shuls were converted to other spaces. But the truth is not, you're not supposed to do that. A place which was once holy is supposed to stay holy. We, we, we're supposed to um, preserve sacred ground. And that's why uh, it's, so, it's so perplexing that, uh, yeah, Mount Maria, that's a holy place. It stays holy. And uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the Temple Mount is and, and Mount Sinai isn't. Jewish people weren't living in Israel. Um, there's actually a story I heard today. Um, the Turks made this rule 100 years ago, they were ruling Israel, that only those who were born in Jerusalem could stay. And how would they figure out who was born in Jerusalem? They made a decree that everyone who was pretending to that they live that they're from Jerusalem, they have to make an oath that they were born in Jerusalem. Make an oath. If they can, oh, they're born in Jerusalem, no, we'll, we'll believe them. So many Jews were living in Jerusalem, they're thinking, well, we shouldn't take this oath because we didn't, weren't born in Jerusalem. On the other hand, we shouldn't leave either. If we're going to leave, what's going to happen? You know, the Jews were exiled from their land before, we should let them, let them kick us out, what should we do? So they, they send the question out to rabbis, can we lie? Can we take an oath and lie and say we were born in Jerusalem, and we, but we weren't born in Jerusalem? So the, so the Ragat Shavar Goyen, Man who the whole Torah was like, um, like like his palm of his hand. The Raga Shavar Goyen says it's not a lie. We say in before, uh, saying the after blessing after we eat. We say Ulutinye Amar Ish Ish Yuladba. To Zion it shall be said Ish Ish Yuladba. A man was born there. Says the Talmud. What does it mean a man was born there? Why is it a double expression? A man and a man was born there. Says the Talmud, anyone who was born there was born there, and anyone who wants to be there is considered like they're born there. Anyone who wants the Mashiach to come is considered like their birth, birthplace is Jerusalem. So uh, that's how the Raghat Shavu Goyen addressed them. But the point is, the place of this Mount Sinai is not holy at all, and the question is why. Nachman of Chista, he says, a person honors the place they're in. The place does not honor the person. That means that the, the status that's given to a certain place has to do with the people that are there. And the proof of Nachman g- gives is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was holy, and then it stops. And just like it's a similar thing we have on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the shofar is blown. Why is the shofar blown on Yom Kippur? It's blown because a sign that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, has ascended. Just like when God gave us the Torah. After the Torah was given, the shofar was blown. Why was the shofar blown then? As a sign. As God told Moshe, as soon as the shofar is blown, they can go up the mountain. The mountain was holy, the shofar is blown, the holy Shekhinah, the divine presence, is no longer there, it's no longer revealed. You can go on the mountain. In a similar way, on Yom Kippur, you want to know, when can you have the cake and the orange juice? As soon as the shofar is blown, 
the Shekhinah departs, the Shekhinah was revealed to us at, on during Yom Kippur, shofar is blown, and now you're able to eat oranges. You're able to have the cookies and oranges. So this, there's a very absolute definition of the status of Mount Sinai defined by the blowing of the shofar, and the question is, why? Why is that? Why did the Mount Sinai lose the holiness, and Mount Moriah, Temple Mount, didn't lose its holiness? There's a similar phenomenon we find in Israel itself. There is, um, there is discussion about, in the Rambam, about various parts of Israel where the laws of Teruma have to be kept, the laws of Maitre have to be kept, where, where you are obligated to uh, consecrate part of your field and give it to a Kohen. And the Rambam says a very interesting thing. He says, the parts of Israel that were conquered by Joshua those parts of Israel do not remain holy. They were holy then, but they stopped being holy. But the parts of Israel that were conquered by Ezra, they stay holy. Why? So the Rambam says, because the, the parts that were conquered by Joshua, he conquered those parts. Once he conquered them, they became holy. But once it was reconquered, it lost its holiness. However, Ezra, he had a different system, a different tool of conquering the land of Israel. He did what's called Chazakah, and Chazaka, which means to assume ownership of a place, just to be there and to live in the land and to, to, to use the land. Since he did a Chazaka, a Chazaka stays. The question is why? The, 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 the base of Cairo, the, the Kesef Mishnah, Beit Yosef, he asks a question, I don't get a difference. I don't understand the difference. What's the difference? It was conquered. What difference? It was occupied. The Jewish people were there and they lived there. What's the difference if they conquered or didn't conquer it? Doesn't understand the difference. So the the short answer is short answer like this. Oh, that's a bigger question. That's a bunch of questions. That's a much harder question. This harder question will give us insight to the answers. We find. A question everyone asks. After the Torah was given, what happens next? Right after the Torah was given, the sin of the golden calf. Everyone wonders, how could it be after the Torah was given, right away the sin of the golden calf? No, the Torah was given. Moshe bin went back up the mountain. 40 days doesn't come back. People are waiting for him. And then they do the sin of the golden calf. How could it be after they just were face to face with Hashem at Mount Sinai? And then all of a sudden, the sin of the golden calf doesn't make any sense. Everyone wonders about it. You want to get the service of Lewis. I mean, the. So the answer is that actually it's very logical. Why is it that they all were so impressed at Mount Sinai? Because God revealed himself to them. It's all coming from heaven, it's all something that Hashem did for them. Since it was all coming from heaven, it's all something that God did. As soon as that stopped, they went back to themselves. When, when something comes from heaven, so then you, they were just brought there. And therefore, when that revelation stopped, they were, they, they, it, it, the magic was over, and they were back to themselves. And therefore, therefore they, they, it made, it's natural and logical that they uh, succumbed to uh, the golden calf. It was because of the revelation, because they were just like lifted up to this whole new space they weren't used to. And then it stopped. It, it was a natural phenomenon that, 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 of course, they made mistakes afterwards. In a similar way, the conquering of the land of Israel by Yehoshua. Yehoshua conquers the land. Yeah, Yehoshua conquers the land. So if he's conquering the land, so then that could stop. But when the king of Paras, the king of Korash, 
when he told the Jewish people, I agree that you should have this land. I want you to take control of the land. The nations of the world are giving the land to the Jewish people. That's something different. That's something which is coming from within. That's not, Hashem could break nature. But changing nature means that the world itself has changed. The world, that's something, there's a change coming from within. This is the difference between, you guys have discussed this before, this is the difference, the difference between Avram and Yitzchak. Avram Avinu was an incredible orator. Avram Avinu spoke to people from his neshama and he changed people in there and everyone was so, wow, Avram Avinu, there's Hashem, where is Avram? Avram is coming to town, everyone wants to hear him. After Avram passes away, all those who joined Avram left. Why? It was all about Avram. It was all about him talking to them. He impressed everybody. It was all about he was drawing godliness to them. There was no change from within. Unlike Yitzchak, Yitzchak was different. Yitzchak dug wells. What's the of digging wells? That's what the Torah says about Yitzchak. Dug wells. What's the big deal digging wells? Yitzchak said, I could see the goodness that's there. I, need a, I believe there's water over there. I want to show, I want to reveal what's the goodness that's already there. I don't want to send something over to the people. I want to discover the goodness within the people. That's the message of digging the wells. And therefore, what he did had permanence. Even, even Esav and Yishmael are different in the way the Torah classifies them. The Torah classifies Esav as uh, Yisrael Mumar. Esav is considered a child of Avraham, a child of Yitzchak. He, he may be a renegade, etc., but the Torah classifies Esav as a child of Yitzchak. In fact, Yitzchak tried to reach out to Esav. Yitzchak said to Esav, Esav came home from Yeshiva, Esav, what did you learn? What happened in Yeshiva today? Yitzchak tried to get Esav to ask questions. We find that Talmud says, Esav would ask uh, Yitzchak, how do you separate Meister from salt? He wanted to get Esav to ask the questions. Yishmol, on the other hand, uh, yes, looked up to Avram and everything, but he was ready to kill Yitzchak on the spot. He, uh, Yishmol, in, in Avram's lifetime, tried to kill Yitzchak. But Esav didn't say that. Esav said, no, I'm my father. I don't want to do anything against my father. My father will die, and then I'll kill Yaakov. I'm going to get into Avram Yitzchak, but the point is, that there are things that are accomplished only because you made an effort. And there are things that you're given as a gift, you don't, you don't, you don't, they're not precious to you. Things that you're given in a silver platter, you don't really, I saw today, amazing, uh, I read it a few times, I wasn't sure that I, that's like so, so amazing. This guy writes to Rebbe, he doesn't feel, doesn't have feelings for his wife, what should he do? Rebbe responded to him, amazing. Rebbe said apparently, in the courtship stage, it was very easy for you. Meaning, apparently she was saying yes too fast and he didn't have to make such an effort to, find, to uh, win her over. And therefore, when they got married, he didn't feel such a affection to her because he didn't really invest so much in, much in the relationship. You didn't make an effort ever said to, 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 in, in, to uh, make that shirk, to make that match. The similar uh, idea, I mean, Ahmed Sudak he was the Rebbe's emissary to London, England, and he was incredibly successful. He brought to England hundreds of other Chabad emissaries, and someone once asked him, how did you do this? What was your secret? Nachman Sudek said, a lot of Hasidim in Russia, they moved to a place called Tashkent. Tashkent, the communists, the communists weren't so um, vigilant. And so Jews moved to Tashkent. So, but it was still a pretty scary place. It still was communism. Still was. So, what happened was every every day they would go to school. At nine years old, he would go to school before the sun came up. He would come home after it was nighttime. So they would get, get caught in the street. Where are you going? What are you doing? 
So he one day, it's Friday. Friday was the hardest day of the week because Friday had to come home before Shabbos starts. So Friday, he's coming home and he's carrying a safer with him. They were told never to carry any books with you. But he was carrying a book with him, carrying a holy book. And the police officer, he feels a, a hand on his shoulder, knows ready it ain't good. He says, what do you got in your hand? Where are you going? He says, oh, I have a book of puzzles. I'm going to see my grandmother. The officer says, oh, that's interesting. He opens the chumash. He says, this is, doesn't stand, can't, uh, the KGB officer doesn't know what this book is, of course. But uh, he said, okay, see you later. But Nachman felt, as he walked away from the police officer, he felt the guy's watching him. The guy's watching him. He tries, and, he, and he realizes he has to lose him. So he starts to run. The police officer starts running after Oh, you're running? He starts running after him. And he was running and running until what? Until he got into a park. And in the park, he, he ran and ran, and he lost the police officer. He said, that moment as a child, and I, that when I lost the police officer, I was able to shake him off of me. I realized I could do stuff. And that helped him. He came to England. And he had all these kinds of challenges in England, but I could do it. There's, there's things that you get from making an effort, from doing something on your own. And that's what a, a difference between a teacher and an educator is. A teacher is someone who gives information. Information. No education. You may lo- know lots and lots of things. What, what's an educator? An educator is someone who lights up the fire of the child. It makes the child want to learn. It tells the child how, how what the child has something within themselves. That's the difference between Hara Maria and, and Har Sinai. Har Sinai was a fire came from heaven. God revealed himself from heaven. Hara Maria is a whole different kind of thing. Hara Maria is a Jewish people came. And they built a temple for God. They did something on their own. That's what God asks us in this week's Torah portion. After God uh, revealed Himself Mount Sinai, God says, "Now I want you guys now to on your own to build a home for me." The first time God revealed Himself to us, it stopped. It was in a golden calf. And now God says, "I want you to do something on your own." When you do something on your own with your own efforts. You put your hands into something, then it, it's precious to you. It means something to you. There was a man named Yanko Ackerman, Angazunt. He was um, studying in yeshiva, Chabad Yeshiva in Newark, New, Jer- Newark, New Jersey. And he, was, uh, he made this little funny paper when he was in third grade. It's a funny paper he made, and the paper was like a newspaper for the class. What did the newspaper say? It said the, uh, the uh, Spanish teacher didn't come today because he has a flu for three days. Like, that, that was the news. Like, that, that was the high. So many years later, his class had an audience with the Rebbe, and when he came to the Rebbe, they said, are you the editor of the paper of the school in Newark? Because <laughs> little, uh, little, little funnies, little uh, comic book he made, wasn't it? The Rebbe, the Rebbe said, no, this, this, this the Rebbe addressed him as someone who accomplished something, and someone who was, had prestige, tried to live up to it. He became a, a uh, eye doctor, and he tried to, and he tries to, to get, impart that to other people to to take your to realize your gifts that you have and and and, and to use them. So, Reb Chaim Brisker was once talking to Reb Rashab. Reb Rashab and Chaim Brisker, many people don't know this, they're very very tight relationship. Chaim Brisker had a very deep respect for Reb Rashab, and it was one meeting the government would in, would inquire of Reb Rashab Chaim Brisker their opinion about various communal matters because they were the lead rabbis. So there's one meeting of, of rabbis discussing various issues and whatever the Rebbe Rashab said, Reb Chaim Brisker would say, yeah, he's right. Rebbe Rashab would speak, Reb Chaim would say, he's right. So he asked Reb Chaim Brisker, afterwards the student said to him, aren't you the prince of Torah? 
and you as a prince of Torah, you should have your own opinion. You just copy whatever he's saying. Where, where's your opinion? Is, is, he, is he the prince of Torah? You're the prince of what's going on? Is, aren't you the prince of Torah? Chaim Rizka responded, there's two mountains. There's Mount Moriah and there's Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is forgotten. Mount Moriah is always holy. Why? Because Mount Moriah was a place that Avram offered Isaac as a sacrifice to Hashem. He sacrificed it. Mount, Mount Sinai came from heaven. Chaim Briscoe said, I am who I am. I am who I am. They called him the Prince of Torah. I am whoever I am. Whatever I have, I have. But the Rebbe Hashabi said, he is a prince of Messias Nefesh. He is the one who has sacrificed for Torah. And therefore, he acquires Kedusha. He, the holiness is something that, that he acquired and contains and it's part of it. So bottom line is that when something is given to you, you don't necessarily absorb it and come on with you. When you're challenged and you work for something, then it becomes part of you. And that's why this mountain is not considered holy, it just came from heaven. But Mount Sinai, Mount Moriah, Jewish people to build and work and make a place for Hashem, that's a place that absorbs Kedusha. And this is something which is important in every area in life. Whatever you put your heart into, it makes things happen. Especially now in month of Adar. Month of Adar, month of good Mazel, month of Hashem opens the door for us to accomplish whatever we want to accomplish. It's, uh, I ever told a friend of mine, a friend of mine who was in a predicament a few years ago, very big predicament. He opened, he asked Rebbe for a bracha, and Rebbe responded, in the month of Adar, you work with your heart, you're successful. So it's open to us. Just have to be besimcha. Why you besimcha in the month of Adar? Because in the month of Adar, Hashem shows us how close He is with us, and He's going to help us. So you have to just be besimcha, and put an effort, and we'll see atzlacha. see the main atzlacha is we need to see the bracha, the gula mitzvah shleim, the Mashiach. Hey, so one second. There's a Jew who has a question. What's your question, Shmuel? No, no question. No comments or criticism. Oh. Yes. This is the Teumar. The Venulibot. It comes to the heart. Whatever you bring it from your heart and you're part of it, you're exactly. giving, giving something from you that's hard, very hard to give, but you do it all with all your body, all your heart, that's something that lasts. Right. Right. Very good. Exactly the point. Exactly the point. Something you need.